Before we dive into the episode, I want to give you a quick heads up regarding a free webinar that we are providing from the Effective Statisticians. It's Gary and myself. The webinar happens on May 11th at 4 p.m. European Central Time, which is 10 o'clock on the East Coast and 7 o'clock on the West Coast in the US. This webinar will be around the topic of convincing your business partners, influencing your business partners. Lots of statisticians are really logical thinkers and we love to be logical thinkers. We have all the facts and all the right data to support our claims and our proposals to have better design approaches, to have better methods, to have better analysis, all these kind of different things. However, being right is often not good enough. It's just not sufficient. So to help you convince your business partners beyond all the logical facts, all the logical thinking and argumentation around that, we have created this webinar. So sign up on the Effective Statistician homepage, theeffectivestatistician.com slash join the free webinar. It's not enough to be right. And there you will find all the details. So just head over to theeffectivestatistician.com and join for this webinar. I'm absolutely sure it will help you to understand how you can persuade your business partners to do the right things beyond just the logical facts. And now let's get to the episode. You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today I'm speaking with Paula Williamson and Liz Gargan about core outcome measures in effectiveness trials, the COMET initiative. I found out about this initiative just by chance, or actually not completely by chance, because I became aware about it because Liz reached out to me being the communications director for PSI. So that's a pretty nice case study for how being a volunteer on PSI will help you to learn more about our environment, create new connections, and yeah, that led to this nice podcast episode today. It's a really, really interesting area, and just stay tuned here for a couple of more minutes so you'll learn about the background, but I think this is something that every statistician should know about because there is there's so many problems with these core outcome sets no there's low money problems if we don't have these core outcome sets the core outcome sets will be a solution to lots of lots of problems and you may not even be aware about how they can help you so i would like to have a future where we have these core outcome sets established in many, many different areas so that we can better see how our products will not only help in clinical trials, but also how that 
relates to the benefit of patience in the real world. So hang in here and listen to this really, really nice interview with Paula and Liz. If you love this podcast, just one ask. Tell your colleagues about it. It's free content and there is so much coming off that says if you're new to that you can scroll back to more than 100 episodes now and we have already recorded lots of really good uh, episodes for the future if you listen to this in your browser please note that you can also listen to it via your smartphone or via spotify or via youtube The podcast is produced in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the ever-growing video-on-demand content library. This is actually a big library by now. Free registration to all PSI webinars and much, much more. We have a reduced rate for just £20, which is about the same in euros and dollars um, at the moment, for non-high-income countries and also just £95 for high-income countries. Visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician Podcast. And today I'm speaking with Paula Williamson and Liz Gargan about a really, really interesting initiative. But before we get to that, um, please introduce yourself first. So, Paula, where have you been coming to this really, really interesting initiative? Oh, thank you, Alexander. So um, my name's Paula Williamson. I'm a professor of biostatistics at the University of Liverpool in the UK. So my interest in the area of outcomes and outcome measurement started actually back in 1996 when I arrived in Liverpool and the Cochrane Collaboration were starting. They'd been around for a couple of years, but Liverpool were very active uh, in Cochrane systematic reviews. And as a statistician, I was excited to get involved in meta-analysis of of clinical trials. But what I was finding in almost every meta-analysis was that there was a problem with the inconsistency of what was being measured in those trials. I, I then subsequently actually became the director of a clinical trials unit. So I was more responsible for the design of clinical trials and had more influence over outcomes that were chosen. Um, and in particular, uh, in 2008, I was involved in a trial in pediatric asthma where there was a lot of discussion at the time about what the most appropriate outcomes would be. And actually, we set about doing some work to find out what those important outcomes should be. Very fortunately for me, shortly after that, the MRC in the UK funded something called a Network of Hubs for Trials Methodology Research. And through that, I met uh, Professor Jane Blaisby, who's a uh, surgeon uh, at the University of Bristol. And Jane had a great interest in the outcomes in surgical trials so literally, so sitting next to each other at a meeting, we decided that we had a shared interest. We ran a meeting together with uh, the late Doug Altman and Mike Clark, who were both 
uh, also clinical trialists and systematic reviewers. And that was back in 2010. And really the enthusiasm of the participants at that meeting made us realize that the time was right to do something about what we consider to be a bit of a mess when it came to outcomes in clinical research. Really, that was when Comet was founded. We obtained some money from the MRC. And that's where Liz comes in. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So Liz, how about you and your journey up up to Comet? Um, I had some experience um, myself with being involved in systematic reviews um, where there was um, problems and inconsistency with the outcomes that are being measured in those trials. And that made it really difficult to be able to combine those trials um, and, do, and do a meta-analysis of those outcomes. Um, so I had some experience of that and I was also involved in some work previously with a company who um, developed um, patient reported outcome measures um, and who also did a little bit of work around um, what, what it is that's important to patients to measure. So I had a little bit of understanding around that side um, of how important it is um, about measuring um, the right outcomes in trials and research as well. Um, so, so I went along to that very first meeting that Paula mentioned um, and heard all about this, this idea of, of, of core outcome sets um, and found it to be a really important initiative um, and something that I, I thought I'd like to get involved in. And then this opportunity came up to get involved um, with the Comet Initiative, which is when, when I joined the team. Awesome. Very, very good. And I can absolutely relate to these problems because I've worked on lots of meta-analysis and network meta-analysis in, in the past and That was always a problem, you know, in, in depression, you have the Hamilton score and then you have the Madras score and some trials use that and some trials use this and some trials use a set cutoff and some others use a different cutoff. And so you get into lots of, lots of different problems. Currently, I have uh, worked a lot in psoriasis studies, and at least they nearly always use a parsi, which makes it really easy. But still, there is, you know, sometimes only a fraction of, of the information is available. So even if the endpoints are the same, the, the analysis is, is not the same, and that uh, also poses a problem. So, Alexander, so I have the same experience, and indeed, As a statistician, I had quite a lot of fun in trying to find statistical solutions for these uh, challenging problems. But in the end, uh, decided that perhaps maybe focusing some attention on trying to uh, agree important outcomes and standardize them, as you found with psoriasis, might, might prove more fruitful in the end. Yeah, absolutely. So now we already touched on a couple of topics why these core outcome sets are, are so important. So let's dig a little bit deeper into what are core outcome sets? Is that, is that just two endpoints or how do you approach, is that whole battery of things that you would need to have? What do you think about that? Okay, so in an ideal world, set of core outcomes are those that matter the most to decision makers. And those decision makers might be patients, health professionals, policy makers. So we've started looking at core outcome sets for sort of effectiveness trials. That's what the ET in COMET stands for. Although these days, obviously, there's all sorts of ways to evaluate treatment. And indeed, there's also interest in value-based healthcare and the outcomes that matter to that value. So there's a lot of interest in trying to standardize outcomes. A core outcome set 
really identifies what is most important to those decision makers and goes on to then agree how to measure those core outcomes. It's not always possible to find a single measurement instrument or a single definition for a particular core outcome uh, that meets sufficient psychometric properties, in which case uh, that particular core outcome should go on a research agenda. Perhaps a new uh, measurement instrument is needed. Okay. okay. Beyond the need for having these in a meta-analysis and network meta-analysis and, and these type of areas, are there any other points why we need to have these core outcome sets? Okay, well, I mean, core outcome sets, in theory, uh, not only do they overcome that inconsistency problem that, that you, you've experienced, as many of your listeners will have done as well, there is also an associated problem with that of, of outcome reporting bias. So that within a study, uh, there is evidence um, that around a third of trials do selectively report which outcomes to measure on the basis of the results. Um, so if you have a set of core outcomes where there is an expectation that they won't just be measured, but they will also be reported, um, then that helps to reduce that particular problem of selective reporting. But I think um, equally, if not more importantly, the focus of a core outcome set becomes the relevance of those outcomes, as I mentioned, to decision makers. And really that can then have an effect almost entirely through the, the healthcare research ecosystem. We will know that those trials should feed into systematic reviews and meta-analysis, which should feed into health technology assessments, which should feed into clinical guidelines, which should, should feed into how healthcare is delivered. So the outcomes, they may, uh, they, 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 you, we, we begin with outcomes and we end with outcomes, and they really are important throughout and the whole of the, the system that we work in, I think. So basically, by using these core outcome sets, you improve the credibility and also the accept acceptability throughout the healthcare system. Because then you have something that, you know, everybody expects and everybody has agreed on. So that, you know, you can use it for regulators, for payers, for physicians and patients. So that is the ideal, Alexander. Uh, I, I think there are some particular areas where uh, the regulators uh, being uh, EMA, FDA, I think uh, where they may differ to health technology assessors. Um, for example, if you look at quality of life, generally regulators would want a uh, disease condition specific quality of life, whereas um, health technology assessors are more likely to be interested in a more generic quality of life assessment because obviously they're making decisions about uh, resource allocation across conditions. So there are pinch points where, uh, you know, but where we need to have discussion and we need to have conversations and recognize that we're actually all part of this whole healthcare system and, and see how far we can get with with the ideal yeah yeah i th i think it's good to have a vision and an ideal scenario set so that we can at least try to get as close as possible to it uh, 
but of course there's always you know changes over time there's lots of lots of different players involved and that getting these all aligned is is uh, really difficult so if we speak about the goals of comet um how do they look like how do they look like? So, so Comet was really um, set up to try and drive this um, idea forward and try and drive this research area forward. So Comet um, was really set up to bring people together who are interested in developing core outcome sets, but also people who are interested in applying those core outcome sets. So that's so people who are interested in using the core outcome sets. Um, and our specific objectives um, really um, are around raising awareness of current problems with outcomes and trials, as we've already talked about, um, in en encouraging the development and the uptake of these core outcome sets, um, and also in avoiding unnecessary duplication um, of efforts for people who are doing this type of work. And so to do that, we, we provide lots of resources um, so to, to facilitate these things, um, specifically um, we developed the Comet website and database. Um, and that database is a really helpful resource for both developers and users of core outcome sets. So this is an online database where we have systematically um, collected the available core outcome sets for research. Um, and we have um, reviewed all of those and they are now available in one central place in, a, in an online accessible database and we'll link to that in the show notes so just for you to know that <laughs> you can just go to the effective statistician.com find this episode and then you'll have all the links there perfect um and so in that database we, so so we we find all of the, the published core outcome sets and we also register um ongoing core outcome sets so people who are developing core outcome sets come to us um, and prospectively register their core outcome set studies. And in doing that, um, we're able to avoid unnecessary duplication where we might have interested groups, perhaps in different parts of the world who want to develop a core outcome set in a very similar area. Um, and we can also use that opportunity as well to link groups together so that there is a much more collaborative approach to core outcome set development. Um, and we have some, you know, some great examples of where this has been really successful. Um, so there, there was um, a couple of groups who contacted us um, at different time points around developing a core outcome set for delirium trials. Okay. So, we, so there was one group um, based in Europe um, and another based in um, North America. Both of these um, groups contacted us to register their core outcome set work and neither was aware of the other. Um, and in, in, in being able to register that, that work in a central database, we were able to put, make each of those groups aware of each other, but also put them in contact. Um, and the end result was that they actually did collaborate um, to develop that core outcome set. Um, so it was a much more international um, piece of work. Um, and hopefully those outcomes were much more internationally applicable um, as a result of that. Um, and we have a much more recent example now, um, which is obviously very topical around coronavirus. Um, where we've been contacted by three separate groups, so two in China um, and one elsewhere in the world, who are, who are wanting to to rapidly develop a core outcome set um, for use in corona trials, where at the moment there's been a surge of, of trials and research in that particular area, um, which is understandable. Um, and so we're working currently at the moment to try and put those groups um, in touch um, to, to work together and also avoid unnecessary duplication, where obviously at the moment that is really crucial because they want this core outcome set available quite quickly. 
So that's one of our goals. Um, and another of our goals um, is around encouraging evidence-based um, core outcomes at development and providing resources for developers to be able to do that. Um, so over the last couple of years, we have um, worked with um, researchers and lots of other different groups of stakeholders who might um, be involved in development or uptake of core outcome sets. Um, and we've developed um, standards for um, development. So minimum. How, how does that look like? So, so if I want to develop a new core outcome set, I would register studies with you or I would register that I would like to develop this core outcome set? With, with the so you can do both okay. through Comet. So um, most people, when they have a very early idea that they might want to work in a particular area to develop a core outcome set, they will get in touch with us and see if we've heard from any, anybody else who might want to be working in that same area. So they register the interest in a given area, which we log and keep a record of for that purpose so that if anybody else gets in touch, we can... We can say that we've already got, um, we're aware of a group who might want to be developing that core outcome set. So that's the first part. And then once that work evolves, and there's usually some planning around what they might want to do, they then can formally register that. And that goes into the online database that is then accessible by everybody else. Okay. So so, so people tend to do both of those things, um, one at a very early stage, and then one once they're ready to register that work, once it's going ahead. So from a high level perspective, Uh, perspective how does that process for getting to a new core outcome set looks like yeah so let me first say that there isn't a gold standard method and indeed we are realizing recognizing that the method will need to vary according to the health condition um, and one of the reasons for that is because um, we have actually developed some principles they're called the costad Uh, standards for development of core outcome sets. There's only 11, but they are principles. Um, and one of the principles, or three of the principles, relate to the stakeholders uh, who should be involved uh, in deciding what matters to them. And one of those groups is patients. So the inclusion of patients as participants in deciding what the core outcome should be obviously brings lots of benefits, but also lots of challenges. So, for example, a, a recent core outcome set that was developed uh, for people with dementia. Um, there was a very strong patient advocacy group who were clear that patients with early dementia could be involved in this process. But the methods for involving them needed to be adapted somewhat to the earlier example um, that I talked about around pediatric asthma, where we were involving adults uh, and parents in that case, and also uh, adolescents. So you can see that the inclusion of patient views is going to vary. Um, but in terms of uh, other methods, I think there's a, a, um, a tendency for people to uh, follow fairly reason, uh, um, standardly a kind of three-stage approach. We, we certainly see that people start with the what to measure, and once they know what is really important they then go on and look at the how and when you look at the what essentially you need to start with a list okay a list of candidates that's usually uh, gleaned from the research literature 
but also potentially from interviews with patients, because obviously the research literature to date, as we know, largely uh, looks at the views of clinical trialists, health professionals and researchers. It's only more recently that patients have had a voice in in designing trials. Okay. Um, so, so you start... If I think of this list, that would be a list of relevant symptoms, for example, yeah, that, that you want to look into. Yes, yes. Um, so uh, could be symptoms. It may be uh, resource use, uh, life impact in particular. That is where patients really do have a, an input and an influence. Um, so the symptoms may be things that health professionals are more used to, to, to suggesting and measuring. Life impact, effect on, on function, emotional function, cognitive function. We've noticed that where patients are involved, there's a much uh, higher percentage of the core outcome sets that include uh, life impact uh, outcome domains. Okay, very good. So, so yes. then we have these concepts and uh, we, we start to narrow them down. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And the process of narrowing them down is going to vary, as Liz mentioned, if you if you're, have a need for a, a rapid core outcome set, such as in an in a, um, outbreak situation, the methods are going to be somewhat different to if you have a little bit more time and maybe a little bit more resource. Um, generally speaking, uh, some form of consensus method, whether that's a Delphi process followed by a consensus meeting. That's what people tend to do if they have more time and a bit more resource. Some people jump straight to the face-to-face consensus meeting um, if they uh, don't feel that they have as much time or or as much resource. Okay, Okay. very good. And then the second step is how to measure these things. So I would imagine that is a quite interesting stage and that's also a stage where statisticians can particularly be helpful isn't it? Um, yes absolutely uh, <laughs> i i would say that there are a few real challenges in the development of core outcome sets um one is actually deciding on the scope we can come back to that um, one is um ensuring that you have stakeholders uh, participants who are representative of those stakeholder groups, because that really is crucial, whose who's views about the what. Um, but the how, as we've already mentioned, there are multiple measurement instruments for the same, potentially the same concept. And looking at the psychometric properties, responsiveness to change, all of those things that statisticians are well used to thinking about, um, they all come into play at the, uh, at the how stage. So it can be quite resource intensive depending on how much work has already been done in 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 terms of refining definitions or or identifying studies of validated instruments so you could come up with already existing instruments or potentially you would develop some new instruments yeah so a a great example i think one of the most well-known core outcome sets i think um was developed um, in rheumatoid arthritis um, back in, I think it was published in 1995. Um, and at the time, uh, it's no criticism of the, of the group because they were ahead of their time developing core outcomes. But um, at the time, it, it wasn't uh, really done that you would ask patients. But um, a few years later, 
they did ask patients what mattered to them. And at that time, uh, patients said fatigue was really important. But fatigue wasn't in the original core outcome set. And indeed, when um, the, the team, the OMARAC group, looked into that um, uh, outcome, that, that concept, it was challenging to find a measurement instrument at the time. And that then led to research being undertaken. Um, so, yeah, if you're lucky enough, there's a, a well-developed and well-validated measurement instrument for the concept uh, that is important. Um, if not, it needs to go on a research agenda. But knowing that it matters is important. Knowing how then to fill that gap is equally important. Okay. So these were two steps, if I counted correctly. So what's the third <laughs> Ah, no, sorry. The third step related to the what. So the three steps in the what is this, get this candidate list, um, and then, generally speaking, people will do a Delphi. And the third step is a consensus meeting. At the end of that process, you have the what. You then move on to what I call stage two. So stage one is the what, and there are three steps. Stage two is the how. Um, and that can be uh, short or long, depending on how many core outcomes you actually have that you need to then uh, look, look at in detail. Okay, okay, very good. So two stages and the first stage has three steps. In terms of the scope, you mentioned set. So um, let's dig a little bit deeper into that because I would see foresee that, you know, if you want to define a specific area of health or healthcare, then that can be very narrow or it can be very wide and i think um defining that scope is is potentially quite a challenge because if you for example look in dementia i think you know dementia as a whole is a huge area and then you look into you know different forms of dementia you know, look into earlier forms later forms and says so there's you know, where do you draw the line in terms of, okay, for this area, this outcome set is good. And um, here we get over the border and uh, we need to find something different. You're right. It is a challenge. With all of these challenges, um, we remind ourselves constantly uh, that the status quo is rather indefensible. <laughs> we we know that there are challenges, but we realize that, you know, if you ever look at a, a Cochrane review or a meta-analysis, you know, you can't really defend the situation. So we, we try to tackle the challenges as best we can. So you're, you're right. I mean, that one of the examples uh, where, where I've worked on developing a core outcome set is in prostate cancer. Okay, so as a condition, that's the condition, but uh, the population with prostate cancer, they, they, may, they may have localized prostate cancer or they may have advanced prostate cancer. And there is actually a core outcome set developed uh, for, for um, each of those. Um, so it is important to think very hard at the outset where you want this core outcome set to be applied. Um, and we define the scope in terms of four elements. So one is the health condition. Um, the second is the population with that health condition. So, for example, if it was, <clears throat> excuse me, epilepsy, 
It may be adults with epilepsy or it may be children with epilepsy. Importantly, though, it's also uh, crucial that you consider which interventions the core outcome set is to apply to. Is it going to apply to any intervention in, say, localized prostate cancer, be it surgery or radiotherapy, or is it going to be specific to an intervention type, such as surgery? And then the final part of a scope, the fourth element, is what we refer to as the setting, but we don't mean whether it's in the hospital or at home. What we mean is, is this a core outcome set that you want to apply to research studies, or is it a core outcome set that you want to apply in practice? And actually what we're finding now is that about half of the ongoing core outcome sets are being developed with the aim of getting a single set of core outcomes that will be relevant both in research and practice. If that can be achieved, it opens up all sorts of possibilities that those core outcomes will be measured in practice and hopefully uh, put into the electronic health record, which means we can then run all sorts of trials more efficiently, better for the patients. They want to be part of, of, of trials, but if it can align with practice, it will be more efficient uh, for everybody. So that is a, a, a fantastic ideal, that the outcomes for research that will inform decision-making are the same as the outcomes that are used for decision-making. Can we tie those two things up? We, we, we wait and see how these core yes. developers are getting on. That is a fantastic area. So you see, it would be like, okay, if you run a phase two study, you can already measure what you want to, you know, look for in the, um, when the drug is on the market. Yeah. So, so you could have, um, you could already foresee, you know, with these results, how it will directly benefit patients. And if there's already some, um, real world evidence with this core outcome set from all the other compounds, treatments, therapies that are out there, um, then you can directly see where, you know, this new molecule or this new therapy sits in comparison with all, all the existing ones. And so that will help quite a lot. And it will also help quite a lot to better inform um, outcomes-based pricing, for example, because your clinical trials will be much more reflective of what we will see in see uh in, in real life because i think what i see very very often is we have very sophisticated long uh instruments in clinical trials and then if you go into clinical practice it needs to be much more practical <laughs> so <laughs> Uh, and, and you can't, you know, spend so much time and also, you know, you potentially don't have the, uh, the right equipment or the right training to, to assess all these kind of things. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's right. And there is a hypothesis that for research and practice, the what may well be the same, but the how may need to differ. You may need to use shortened forms of an instrument for exactly but you, you raise the issue of phase two and that's really really interesting phase two trials because uh, by and large 
um, as, I, as I mentioned, the ET in Comet stands for effectiveness trials. Um, and actually people criticize uh, the core outcomes as being not applicable in phase two. Now, actually in, in discussions with the regulators, and as you've alluded to, um, although a phase two study may not be powered for some of those later phase outcomes, if you can collect some of them, why not? Because it then will give you some information about subsequent planning of the later phase trials. So this is the idea that you have this sort of um, flow of outcomes and information through different phases of the of the research. Um, yeah. so. And I completely agree. It, you know, these core outcome sets may not, you know, be the primary driver of your those decision, for example, that probably will also very much depend on safety and uh, other other things. Um, but it can inform you to what you will expect later on in, in the process. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, I think it's not about just using these core outcome sets. It's just about also using these core outcome sets in studies. And, and yeah. Oh, absolutely. So the uh, definition that Comet coined of a core outcome set was this is a minimum set of outcomes that should be measured and reported. We fully expect and we see um, that researchers will measure other things as well. Um, that, that's understandable, um, but it's more that we can try to get some form of standardization about what really matters so that allows for calibration. So you mentioned network meta-analysis. You'll have been looking at trials of A versus B and trials of A versus C. And wouldn't it be so much easier if there was some form of calibration that meant you could do that network meta-analysis on more of those yeah, studies? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so um, where are other sources uh, beyond the uh, cometinitiative.org homepage uh, that people can find information about? And and. Maybe you can also speak a little bit about what's on that homepage because there's quite a lot on that. Yeah, so as you've already said, um, to the Comet website, which is www.comet-initiative.org. So that is our, our main resource um, and all of those resources that Paula and I have mentioned today. So the database and the um, minimum standards and the Comet Handbook and all of those things, they're all available on the Comet website. We also have a section on that website um, around um, resources for patients. So patients themselves who might want to know more about core outcome sets or about being involved in that process. And also patient organisations who might be involved in core outcome set development as well. And we have a group within the Comet Initiative called Poppy. Um, and their, their real focus is around making sure that, that we within Comet and also um, in, the, in this world of core outcome set development, that there is that focus um, on patients, which we keep coming back to and which is really important. And there are resources that Poppy have developed within the Comet initiative. They've been developed with patients and they include things like plain language summaries. And there's also a video there that really explains in, in plain, simple terms what, what we mean and what we, we talk about core outcomes. Um, we also have a Comet newsletter, which we send out quarterly. Um, 
you're able to sign up to that through our website if you if you don't already receive that and that's where we keep um people up to date with um the latest things that we've been working on um and core outcome sets that are being published and things like that we also have a twitter account as well which is at comet initiative um and then we also have um a conference that we that we hold every two years um so our eighth meeting is being held this year in liverpool um, in October, and that's the 8th and 9th of October, and it is in the um, Merseyside Maritime Museum in Liverpool this year. Um, and that is a free um, free meeting for people to attend. Um, and that is um, one and a half days where we talk about everything that we've talked about today um, and a lot more in a lot more detail. So we would really encourage people who are interested to come along. Awesome, awesome. Very good. Sue. If you travel to the UK in October and, you know, make a trip to the Comet uh, conference as well. And we'll, of course, link to all of these things in, in the show notes. So just go to theeffectivestatistician.com, look for this episode about Comet, and then you'll find find all the links. Any, any last words from you, Paula or Liz, before we close? Um, only to say it's... it's- been a pleasure to to speak to you today alexandra i just also follow up with the meeting we are keen uh that people from industry uh do come to the meeting and actually share their experience around outcome measurements and challenges and the reason for that is a core outcome set to be really effective it has to be taken up globally and that's not just in uh commercial it's also non-commercial so in the public funded sector so you know, what we're really trying to achieve here is a, a kind of um, almost like a pre-competitive area of work that we can all contribute to. Uh, and, and many consensus meetings involve people from industry and, the, and regulators. So um, we, we really don't want to see this as a um, something that divides commercial and the non-commercial, but rather brings together our interest in better outcome measures. Awesome. Very, very good. So thanks so much for the discussion today about the Comet Initiative. Liz, any any final words from you as well? Um, no, just just to say again, thank you for, for giving us this opportunity. Uh, we, we love it. We love any time that we get to, to talk about Comet. We're, we're really keen. So thank okay, you again. Very good. So if you as a listener want to also promote more about this initiative, then just find all the links in the show notes. Share it on your social media, share it within your organization, whether that's a, a company or whether that's a clinical trial unit or whether you do maybe even um, effectiveness research beyond clinical trials. Check out what's already there, implement it and, and drive forward because I think it's really for us all to make life easier and improve decision-making for uh, payers, regulators, physicians, and ultimately also patients, which we really, really need to take care of. Thanks so much, Paula and Liz, for, for this great interview about uh, core outcome sets and talk to you next week. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain, like always, who helps amazingly with the show in the background, and especially thank you for listening. 
Just check out theeffectivestatistician.com to find the show notes with all the links that we mentioned in this episode and learn more about our podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector. And remember, it would be awesome if you could tell your colleagues about this podcast. And like always, I'm finishing with reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician. Mm -hmm.